Allen is here to worship, uh, help us lead us in the time of worship today. Um, and so we're thankful for that. Levin uh, is, is okay. His, his voice is kind of in and out. And so we invited Chris to help us to lead us in time to singing to the Lord, declaring his glorious truths. And so uh, glad that he could make it out. Um, and then uh, other than that, just wanted just to encourage us to continue to, uh, if you are live streaming, continue to live stream with us. We have that available. Uh, we also have our, our groups going, so if you are not a part of a group, please uh, consider uh, joining, uh, being part of a group where we meet once, uh, you know, every once a week, uh, other than being here on Sunday mornings. This is helpful, but uh, I hope that you'll feel it with me that, that it's not enough uh, to be with the saints, so hopefully you'll pursue that. So before we get started into a time of uh, singing to the Lord, let me read to us our call to worship in uh, Philippians chapter 2, All right, verse 5. This mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. You are the one who works in us. You will in us. You work in us. Jesus, you did all the work necessary for our salvation. We thank you for your for your word. We thank you um, that you are the name that is above every other name. And we, we believe that, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are in fact Lord. You're worthy of our praise today, so we freely give it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you guys stand and just worship God with us today?
this morning. Uh, as you, many of you know, uh, our brother Adam Stevens is back from uh, his journeyman program in South India. So I've uh, asked him to, to share just, some, uh, just for some time, just to uh, highlight the things that uh, for her we'd like to share. So let's uh, uh, just give our ears and attention to uh, our brother as he shares. with all of you uh, these past couple weeks and just even just being able to worship in English is such a blessing and I'm really thankful for it thankful for all the conversations. Um, so I just want to start off by sharing a passage that was really um, a big part of my time uh, over in India. Um, and it's from Malachi 1.11. And it says, For my name will be great among the nations. This is God speaking. From the rising of the sun to its setting, incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place, because my name will be great among the nations, says Yahweh of hosts. And so in this passage, we see God's desire for his name to be made great among all nations, among all peoples, and also in every place. And we also know that today that, that hasn't happened everywhere in the world. There are still many places and many peoples that have never heard the name of Jesus. And that's that's why I went to India. And so, um, the, the desire, God's desire should be our desire. We, we want to see this happen, and He wants to use us to this happen, just as he, he calls us to go out in the Great Commission, calls us to go to all nations. And so, um, I just want to share one story from my time while I was there, one story that is um, just really encouraging and really cool, where we, we got to see this playing out and God just intervening in a mighty way. So there was a, a shorter team, turn team, that was out there. Um, they were just doing work, and uh, one of the things they were tasked with doing was finding um, UUPGs um, in the Himalayan foothills. Um, and so a UUPG is an unengaged, unreached people group. It's a people group that has no believers among them and has nobody um, really seeking to share with them. Usually they're people groups that have never even heard the name of Jesus or ever had the gospel shared with them. Um, and so it was a people group. The main one we were looking for was a people group of around 20,000 people. So I joined this team to kind of help them, to kind of get them started um, in this adventure. And we really knew absolutely nothing about this people group. We knew their name, and we knew that they lived somewhere in the Himalayan foothills. And if you know the Himalayas, it's not a small mountain range. Um, so we kind of chose a, a central city to go to. We traveled 12 hours um, in buses and taxis and uh, different things to get there, um, really not knowing what to find. We were going to be there for a week, and really my expectation was we were going to kind of hear whispers of a more specific area that they were in was going to be the, the fruit of that time. But while we went there, and through a connection that we had made early on in the trip, um, we, we discovered seven churches that were already there. Um, and so we started by, by getting together with some of these leaders and talking to them about what we were doing, talking about God's desire, like we see in Malachi 1.11, for his name to be made great among all peoples. Um, and so these churches, they were all from the same people group. It was a people group that is very receptive to the gospel in that area, um, but they very rarely share with peoples that are outside of them. And so we were able to just challenge them to, to look outside to the, the many peoples around them that have never heard, that are a little more isolated, but they have access to and have a similar culture to, and it's easier for them to go to. And so we were asking about some UUPGs in the area, and they really didn't know uh, any of the names we were talking about. 
Um, but it was still a really fruitful time with them as we, we shared with them. Um, and so then we began to just kind of go around. We were just meeting with people, talking to people, doing some sharing, but also asking about these people groups. Hey, have you heard of, of this people? Have you, um, do you know anyone from this people? Um, and initially, we weren't meeting with much success, but the, I think it was the end of the second day in, um, some of us went to, went to a barber to just get a haircut. And so we were talking to the barber while we were there, and we asked him, hey, do you, do you know anyone from this people group? He's like, yeah, of course. I know all these people from this people group. And he starts telling us all about them. He's like, yeah, they're, they're fishermen in this area. They're, they're poor people. They're, they're lower caste. Um, and he's like, I have some friends. I can just go take you to meet them tomorrow. And we're like, yeah, great. Uh, and so the next day we, we go with him. Um, and on the way, we discover that this guy is, is a radical Hindu. So he's a guy that, that persecutes Christians actively. He's, yeah, he's, yeah, bad news for Christians. Um, but he doesn't know why we're there. And it's, it's incredible that God is using this guy to introduce us to these people. Um, so he takes us and we meet these people. Um, we don't share with them because this guy is with us and we don't really want uh, to start anything. Uh, and so uh, we're introduced to them. We know where they are. We, we meet a, a couple families. Um, and after we, we meet with them, we're able to loop back uh, about a week later. Um, and this, this team is able to start sharing with these people, these people that have never heard the gospel before. Um, and so after about another month, another team comes out. Um, and from, from the research and the things we've figured out, they, we've discovered that there's a, a big village in this area. Um, and so these people, they go to this village, it's a village of about 500 people, and they just began to kind of wander, uh, wander around, just prayer walking and asking the Lord to show them um, who they should share with. Um, and so they start sharing with people, and it comes to find out the person they had just shared with was the village leader. And he believed right then and there um, on the spot. And so he gathers the whole village the next day and says, hey, you guys need to come. You need to hear what these people have to say. So this village of 500 people gathers together and is there to hear the gospel. And, and several of them believe. And so uh, the work has continued among this people. And to this day, I think there's two churches among this UPG um, that had never heard the gospel um, before this time. And so it's really encouraging story. It's, it's incredible because God just, just paved the way for all of that to happen. None of these things would really happen by chance. It, was, uh, it wasn't luck. It was God paving the way before us and, and really showing his desire for all people is to know about his glory and just being uh, able to be a part of seeing that happen and him using us. It was an incredible honor. And yeah, there's just tons of stuff like that going on over there. I wish I could share more stories and if you want to talk after, I'd love to.
have these requirements to go back overseas, and I'm planning on going back over to India. Let's go to the Lord. Uh, spend just a brief moment in prayer, um, and while we are praying, we'll also just pray for uh, the preaching of the word, and then we'll get to uh, our passage this morning. Father, you are the, the Lord of the harvest. Lord, and you continue to work among that harvest in ways that we do not even know or realize. Things and even in ways that we cannot even see in our, our natural eyes. Father, we thank you for the way that you are sovereignly and omnipotently working among the nations, specifically uh, in these people groups, Lord, that uh, Aaron's partner were seeking out. And Father, I pray that, that the work that you have begun that you may continue to do, and that that work would flourish and prosper. Father, I pray that you would use the seeds that have been planted among the people groups and in others and those of the, uh, the Aaron and his, uh, his friend have come into contact with that you would cause, that you would water those seeds and make them to grow and spring up to eternal life. We pray that you would establish more churches for the spread of your gospel, that you would bring many others to saving faith in Jesus Christ for the glory of your name. We pray for our brother as he, as he pursues uh, going back to the mission field, we pray that you would that you would bless them and keep them, that you would make the path clear to him as he pursues seminary and meets these requirements to go overseas. We pray that you would bring that about and give him and provide for him all that he needs. And then that the desire and the heart and the and the and the fire that he has to preach the gospel to those who have not heard of the course specifically among the people in South India, that you would continue to serve that hunger and that desire, Lord, that it would not wane in his time here, but that it would be grow. We pray that you would do that for him. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing and continue to do. May we be a people who have a heart for missions, especially for those peoples in the world who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for giving us this time, Lord, to open up your word. As really as we are able to, Lord, to, to, to talk about Jesus Christ, we, we do pray that you would bless uh, the preaching of your word, and that these would not be my words, but they would be your words, Lord. Speak to us this morning and through your word, and that we may know you, and that you may sanctify your bride. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, please turn with me to the Gospel of John. Chapter 17, verse 13, so I'd like to stake in the bullet that we're actually going to verse 19 and not verse 20. I think your bullet said verse 20. That's my fault. John 17, verse 13. Really, that's one of the part of the challenging thing about preaching when people are wearing masks that I have no idea what your reactions are. You could be smiling, you could be completely bored of your mind, you could be mumbling to yourself, and I never know. John 17, verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and in these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word. The word holy or holiness is a word that we use pretty regularly in Christian circles in the evangelical world, but I wonder how you would define and describe the word holy. You might say pure or purity, you might describe it as sanctification, you might think, well, it means to be set apart, distinct, separate from everything else, and you might be right, you would be right. But I wonder if the word beautiful or beauty might come across your mind when you are trying to define the word holy. Jonathan Edwards says that what sets God most apart from everything else in all of creation is that he is the most beautiful person in all of creation and that his divine beauty consists of his divine holiness. So what makes God filled with beauty is the fact that he is filled with so much holiness. When we describe God, right, we might say that He is holy, that He is set apart. We might describe Him as one with whom we cannot gaze because of His brilliance and His splendor. And that it is that holiness that makes God so distinct from everything else in all of creation. When you describe someone or something as beautiful, what you are in fact saying that this object or this person stands out above the rest. So for example, if you are in an art museum and you're standing in front of a, of a portrait, when you describe it as beautiful, you are saying that this particular painting is different from all the rest. That it stands out that all the others can compare to this one particular portrait or painting. For example, we might say that, uh, that all children are beautiful. We're saying that they are uniquely and wonderfully beautiful, so distinct from every other person. It's just what you are saying when you communicate to your spouse, when you're telling them that they are beautiful. So as we proceed to the Gospel of John, and particularly the John or Jesus' prayer request, where we see last week Jesus' first prayer request on behalf of the church this floor, and then the first was that the church would be kept or guarded. And so today we're coming to the second request that Jesus makes on behalf of his church. And I hope to connect this topic of holiness and the beauty of the Lord with Jesus' second prayer request. So then, as Jesus prays for his people, we see, I think, first, in verses 13 to 14, that what's needed is endurance. Look again, verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world. Jesus is saying that he's going to the Father, return to the Father. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus says, these things I speak in the world, these things most likely is referring to all the things that Jesus has been speaking about. At this point, up until this point, in the farewell discourse, in Jesus' final words to the disciples. And it seems that it's really important for Jesus to communicate to his disciples that he wants them to have joy. He wants them to be the happiest people in the planet. And so what is his concern with their joy? Because he... He talks about joy so many times, especially in this farewell discourse. He just says that after his departure, he will return to his disciples and that they will have joy. 
I get told that no one can ever escape from that. And then in John 15:11 and John 16:24, he says, "I speak about these things so that your joy may be full." Ask and you are seeing that your joy may be full. Again and again and again, just talk about joy. Why does Christ care so much about joy? The reason why Christ is so concerned about your joy and about my joy is because when you have found your complete joy in Christ, you have also found your complete satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And when you have found your complete satisfaction in Christ, then you will see everything in the world for what they truly are, and that is that they are temporary pleasures. Now, many of those things are good. Many of those things are things that you should enjoy. Many of those things are things that the Lord has blessed you with. But they don't compare to the ultimate joy and satisfaction that comes from knowing Jesus Christ, from having a close relationship with Him. And so then how do we live this joy-filled life? Where does it come from? How is it produced in our lives? And then John 15, 8 tells us, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, since I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Because the joy comes from abiding in the love of Jesus Christ. And what does it mean to abide in the love of Christ? And it means by following his commandments. This means doing His will. It's committing our lives to following Jesus Christ. It's living a life of discipleship under Jesus Christ. So that He is our Lord. But this doesn't answer the question, not entirely anyway, about this joy. And where does it come from? Why is it so important for Jesus to communicate to us that you need to have joy? Such as relates to this passage. In John 17. So then, it's kind of surprising that Jesus wants his people to have joy because he says, again, these things I speak of the world that they may have my joy fulfilled themselves. And then verse 14, just a surprising part, the surprising part. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So Jesus wants his people to have joy while at the same time being hated by the world. I mean, how is that even possible? The reason why Jesus cares so much about your joy is because joy is essential if you are going to endure and persevere through the hatred of the world and then resist the temptations of the world. That's why Jesus cares so much about you having joy. If your joy and satisfaction is not in Christ, then you will succumb to the enticements, the pressures, to the wars of the world. And then if you should be hated by the world, then you will not endure if your joy and satisfaction is not in Christ. We have an example of this actually in the New Testament and in First Timothy. The Apostle Paul talks about very, very briefly about Demas. Demas was a faithful partner to him in the Lord. But Paul tells us that Demas fell in love with the world and then deserted the Apostle Paul. When Christians were persecuted because of 
because they were hated by the world, the Apostle Peter wrote a letter to those Christians. Right? We have that in the letter of First Peter. These are Christians, right? and they were hated by the world. Why are we hated by the world? Because we are no longer conforming to the patterns of the world. Jesus calls us to abide in the love of Christ, to obey his commandments, and the world hates us because we no longer want to abide in the world. Because we no longer want to follow it and do its will. And when we do not want to follow into the, the will of the world, then the world recognizes that it hates us. And so to encourage believers to start suffering persecution, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded, or protected, or kept through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice. So now for a little while, if necessary, you have been weighed by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, was tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Forget about Jesus Christ. How did he endure the hatred and the persecution and the animosity of the world? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy comes from having a close relationship with Jesus Christ. And then it also comes from having this this joyful hope, this expectation of this inheritance that awaits you when Jesus Christ returns and takes you up with him. And you hear those wonderful words from the Lord that says, Oh God, good and faithful servants. And so it is our joy to have this relationship with Christ. It is our joy to do what pleases the Lord just as a, as a child. It is happy with her father is happy because they've been walking in obedience. So I know that all children are very people, and I know that personally. So then, moving on in the passage, Jesus tells us that joy is essential if we're going to endure the hostility of the world. And then Jesus repeats the request that we covered last week, and that's that we be kept protected by the Lord. But this time it's a specific reference to the evil one. So verse 15, Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. To be kept is to be protected. We learned last week that to be protected by the Lord doesn't necessarily mean that you are protected from all suffering, from all harm, from all danger, from all illness, from all persecution. To be guarded, to be protected by the Lord is to be protected so that you will not become lost. Like as Demas was lost to the world. And then the devil leaves the tent and to lure Christians away from Christ in order that they may become lost. But Jesus 
praise for our protection. I think of the story of John Knox, who was the Scottish reformer, that he was being persecuted, and these two worthless fellows were actually after his life. And when he found out, he immediately went into hiding. I think he found his barn, they found this killed, this really large barrel, and he hid himself in it. And it didn't have a lid. And so he hid himself in it, and he, he kept looking up just to, make, just to see if they would find him. And as he was looking up at the, at the opening of the lid, of the, of the, of the barrel, he noticed a spider that was crawling along the opening. And the spider began to weave this intricate web. And then John kept looking at the spider as it was making this web. And it was mesmerized by it. So mesmerized, actually, that he forgot why he was in there in the first place. And then by the time the spider got done, it was this beautiful and intricate web. And then suddenly he hears the two guys come in. And they're starting about looking for him. And he suddenly hears the footsteps coming closer, closer, closer. He thinks he's found. But immediately the other guy tells him to stop. He says, there's no point in looking in there. I've got spiders, but nothing's been in there for quite some time. So they leave. Who protected John Knox that day? It wasn't the spider. It was the Lord. If the Lord wanted him found, they would have found him. But he was protected by God. And that's how the Lord works. Even against the schemes of the devil, we works in omnipotently and sovereignly and mysterious ways that we will never know. Jesus protects this church. However, it's not only the Lord's work that we have to trust in in order to his protection over us, but we also have to do our due diligence and also protect ourselves. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, tells us, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, against the rulers, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, over the spiritual, or against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. And then in verse 16, I think your bulletin says 15, so sorry, that's a mistake. But verse 16 of Ephesians 6 tells us, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We are called to put on this armor of God. We are called to take up the shield of faith. But to take up the shield of faith, which is to run by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, as our refuge, as our rock, as our anchor. To take up the shield of faith is to lay hold of the promises of God. When we are anxious, when we are worried, when we are in distress, when we are filled with doubt, when we are wavering, that they take up the shield of faith, that they lay hold of the power and the strength of God and trust Him for that strength that you need. When you feel tempted by the world, when you're enticed by fleshly desires, when the devil means to lure you in from Jesus Christ. desire to be kept by the Lord, then you must keep yourself in the love of Jesus Christ, abiding in His Word, living in close fellowship with Jesus Christ. If Jesus prays that His people be kept from the devil, and as His people are hated by the world, endure is needed, then as we continue further in the passage, 
We then finally come to Jesus' second request on behalf of this church. Verse 16. They are not of the world, yet as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prays for the sanctification of his people. Joy in Christ is necessary if you're going to endure the hostility of the world. And sanctification is necessary if you're going to resist the temptations of the world. So they may not be conformed to it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Because so not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And then the world is passing away along with his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And first Thessalonians answers the question, what is the will of God? It tells us the will of God is that you be sanctified. You be sanctified, to be set apart, to be distinguished, to be separated, separated from what? Separated from the world. We are called to be separated from the world, also to be a part of the world. It doesn't mean that we seclude ourselves and form kind of like this Christian bubble. But it means that we are called to learn the art and the discipline of remaining in the world by not at the same time being conformed by the world. That we are not becoming more and more like the world. We are to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Having more increasingly, increasingly more and more in common with Jesus Christ. And then decreasingly less like the world and less in common with the world. Why is this so important? Peter, in his letter, tells us right, that you should be holy. Why? Because God is holy. Holiness. Set apart, distinct, separated, like no other. Holiness is the most glorious and beautiful attribute of God. And he called us, and Jesus prays for us, that we may be sanctified, so that we may be holy. Because we are the bride of Christ. We read in chapter 5, we had the passage on marriage, which is a parable about Christ and the church. We read in chapter 5, verse 25, that tells us husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify, have been cleansed by the washing of water of the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, a spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing. She might be holy and without blemish. God will not give to his son. God will not permit his son to have a bride that is less than pure holy. We are the bride of Christ. God means to sanctify us, to purify us, to beautify his church. So that the church, when she is presented to the bridegroom, she matches the groom. And then that same radiance, that same splendor, and that same beauty, and that same holiness. Because Christ is worthy of it. And so therefore we have to be sanctified. And sanctification comes through the truth, which is His Word. And the Word is what initially sanctifies us. When we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are then born again as children of God. So that our sins are cleansed. 
but that the word was also what continues to sanctify us, to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. The world will try to mask the reality of Jesus Christ, so that we will not be conformed or changed into the image of Jesus Christ. Sort of like the, the fictional story of Dorian Gray, who's a handsome young man and had a painting of himself, and then soon after he discovered that he would not, that he cannot age. But he was a hedonistic young man who followed his passions, who did whatever he pleased, and gleed, and lust, and seeming, and devising, and hurting people, and the more that he gave into his passions, the uglier and more deformed in age his portrait became. So that his handsome features was actually a mask to cover the reality of his hideousness, which is what his portraits displayed. Your dear friends, for her here this morning, or you happen to be watching me live stream, the description described was a very bleak picture of the world. Yes, from wonderful things in the world, things that we can enjoy and should enjoy. But the scriptures also describe the world was as filled with darkness, that it is hideous because of its wickedness. And you stand sin. And then you share in that wickedness. In ways that you may not even realize. And the world will pass away, the scriptures tell us. The world and all its pleasures will pass away. And only those who do the will of God that is God sanctified and form the image of Christ will last forever. But if you would want to last forever, then trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. So that you may be purified, so that you may be sanctified, so that you may, with the Lord Jesus, abide forever, and find your joy and satisfaction in Him, and not in any other things, and not in the Father stuff in the world. As wonderful those things might be, our ultimate joy comes in Christ, and that is what's going to last forever. And in the Word, it continues to sanctify each and every one of us, and also our church, to this day. However, you might be tempted to pursue that sanctification in other methods not described to us in this word. What might those methods be? Well, it might be seeking a spiritual high, perhaps to a conference or special retreats. None of those things are bad in themselves. Pursue those things, enjoy those things, benefit from those things. And then it can be with a spiritual high where you are coming out of it, you're wanting and ready to just tackle the world and say, ah, I'm going to do this. Things are not going to be the same anymore. That's well and good, but if you trust in that spiritual high, that the drug is going to go away. You will find yourself back in the same old patterns. Another way might be to just pray for the, the second blessing, a special anointing of the Holy Spirit, where He might perhaps come upon you in a special way and make you perfect and sinless. But the scriptures have no category for a sinless and perfect Christian. And in fact, it has to have a category for a Christian who is struggling with sin, but confesses his sin, repents of his sins, turns to Jesus Christ, and that is the process of sanctification. There is no category for sinless or perfect Christian. Just read the book of 1 John and you know. Another way we might pursue sanctification is to simply wait for it. We might wait day after day after day, hope and hope and hope that you will one day wake up just differently than you've ever had before. Like you came out of maybe like a Tony Robbins conference. 
And English is so different now. The scriptures actually don't give us any indication that we can expect that. In fact, a day like that may never come. We might pray for sanctification. Praying is a good thing. But Jesus does not say sanctify them in prayer. He doesn't say sanctify them in conferences. He doesn't say sanctify them by their waiting. He says sanctify them in the truth. The word is truth. It is the word of God that sanctifies us. And how does the word of God sanctify us? The word convicts us through his spirit. And when we read his word, and when we learn from his word, and when we listen to his word, even when we pray his word, the Spirit of God convicts us through the Word of God. And that's how the Word sanctifies us. We need more of the Word of God in our lives, and not less. But one of the questions I think you should be asking yourself, and I should be asking myself, is am I more like Christ today than I was a year ago? Am I different today in a good way, in a better way than I was a year ago? And if you are struggling, Right, with sanctification, if you find yourself becoming more and more conformed to the image of the world, then that's surprising. One of the first questions I would ask you is, well, how often are you in the Word? The Word sanctifies us. We apply it. We read the Word and try to understand it and see how it applies to us. And we make the effort to apply the Word of God to our hearts, to our lives. But that is the means of sanctification. I mean, you read the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are just all indicatives. And the last three chapters are the imperatives. We want to know how the Christian walk is like to read the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians. All the imperatives. All which you have to do. It responds to the indicatives. All that Christ has done for you. The word also sanctifies us when we are confused. We should not reject a brother or sister who comes to us seeks to correct us and then we press in a gentle loving manner based on the word of God. And if you would be actually so bold, maybe ask a dear friend, a brother or sister in the Lord, maybe even ask yourself if you're married, is there a difference in me? Have you noticed a change in me? Am I more like Christ today than I have been than I was last year? And if you don't have that kind of relationship, that kind of friendship where somebody can look into your life and tell you how you are doing, then maybe perhaps it's time to start developing that kind of friendship with someone. The Word is what sanctifies us. And we are the bride of Christ, and we are made the bride of Christ by Jesus Christ, who is our high priest. And this is the concluding point. What Jesus means by his consecrating himself, what he means by that is that he sets himself apart to be used by God as a sacrificial offering on behalf of his people. Jesus is the faithful high priest who intercedes on behalf of his people, not only by prayer, as we see here in John 17, but also by dying for his people so that they might be sanctified, so that they might be purified of sin. In the high price of his life in order to purify you and to sanctify you for himself. Some of you might be playing around a little too much with the world, becoming more and more like the world and less like Jesus Christ. 
said we should be following the example of this elderly lady that I recently heard about, who was walking the streets of Boston with her mask on, just walking down the sidewalk, and then coming her way was, a, was a, another person with a mask on. And as they inched closer and closer and closer, she really stood to the side and took off her umbrella and opened the umbrella, almost kind of like shielding herself to try not to get the coronavirus. An extreme course of action, perhaps. But as an example, I think we should we would do well in following. But if we resist, we have to resist being conformed to the world. And that means taking appropriate measures and sometimes that means taking extreme measures. But right, Jesus was pretty extreme, right? He tells us if your your right eye or your right hand causes you to sin, gouge it out, cut it off, and throw it away. But it's better for you to lose one of your members, to lose your right hand, to lose your eye, than, and go into heaven rather than your whole body be thrown into hell. And obviously he didn't mean that literally, but it means that whatever it is that might be causing you to sin, that you are quick to cut it off and throw it away. And if a particular TV show or movie is causing you to sin, then you cut it off and throw it away. If listening to a particular kind of music is causing you to sin, you cut it off and throw it away. And having to sit in that certain individual's relationship in your life is causing you to sin, then you cut it off and throw it away. Worldliness is a virus that is much more deadly than the coronavirus. Right, we are the bride of Christ. We've been purchased and sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. To be presented to him as a bride who is in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that we might be holy. And Jesus means to make, uh, God means to make the bride of Christ holy, and we also must make ourselves holy. It's not that we are trying to earn our salvation or this righteousness, but we work out our salvation with fear and trembling because Christ has saved us. We do it in response to the salvation that Jesus Christ has done for us, has purchased for us. And in this way, we aim to beautify the bride of Christ together so that we may be presented to the Lord. as a bride that is worthy of his holiness. So then let's pursue sanctification through the truth of his word. Let me pray for us. Father, you call us to be sanctified, and we admit to you that this can be so very hard. But I pray that you would provide us with the the desire and also the grace and the strength to pursue this. Sanctify us in your word, through your word. May we be a bride beautifully adorned that matches the groom with the same radiance, splendor, and holiness. Do this in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just going to close with a couple songs uh, today or just in response and reflection. Uh, just sing this. So you guys can stand. We just love for these songs to be just a moment of meditation. 
on the truth of God's word, meditation, reflection on what he may be speaking to us directly through his word today.
I will build my life. So I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you. last song we're going to sing today <clears throat> just the title of it even from the inside out and as Ademi's talking about sanctification we have to remember it's an inside out process we don't just clean up the outside we don't try to be a little more disciplined we don't just try to follow the rules a little bit better and think that that's the change that is needed in fact Jesus rebukes that all through the scriptures and it's a heart change so what are we building in our hearts what are we trusting where is our joy found? Not just what do we do on the outside. It's not just the external. So what a beautiful prayer for us today as we think about sanctification, for God to consume us from the inside out today. Amen. A thousand times I've failed, still your mercy should I stumble again? Still I'm calling your Come on. Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending, your glory goes beyond all things. You will above. Together, your will above all else.
in my heart and my soul. In my heart and my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out, Lord. Let justice and Here is benediction from Jude, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. Amen. It's good to worship with you. You guys are all dismissed.